Good morning, everyone. Happy Father's Day. Um, I have to confess to you guys, this is the first time I think in my entire life that I have ever come to church afraid. Let me explain. You might remember back on Mother's Day, we ladies decided to pull a prank on all of the guys, right? We conspired together to see how many of them we could get to show up wearing the same shirts unknowingly, right? And I think we did pretty well. What do you all think? Uh, Of course, it had a purpose. The purpose was to kind of have this visual representation of women's influence in our lives. But none of the guys bought it then, and they're still not buying it today, I don't think, as Matthew shakes his head in the back. Uh, (laughs) But uh, one of the most fun parts of the days was just watching the guys try to figure out what was happening, right? Uh, For example, uh, Pastor Oaks, I heard a report that you turned to your wife and asked, what store's having a sale that we all got the same shirts today? <laughs> and then um, I heard our dear friend, Eric Kenny, who's downstairs, who's just so sweet and precious. Like, he thought it was total coincidence. And with each person who came to the door, he'd look and say, oh, my goodness, you're wearing the same shirt, too. <laughs> and we finally had to tell him what was happening. Um, and then, of course, there was Jeremy, who for the first time ever was speechless and was thrown off for the entire service because he just couldn't believe that we would do such a thing. Um, So I was informed. I was put on notice, and I believe this is a quote from one of the people in this room, that uh, revenge would be severe and swift. That's the quote. (laughs) And so I've kind of been dreading Father's Day, thinking like maybe, just maybe, today was going to be the day. But I would like to say to all the guys, please notice I did bring you donuts today, and I am willing to negotiate like a shorter sermon if you have something planned. So let me know. We can work it out, okay? Um, In all seriousness, though, one of the things I love the most about this church is our ability to laugh. Our ability to laugh at ourselves, our abilities to laugh not at but with one another. I mean, this is our Facebook page banner, for goodness sakes. We know how to have fun, right? And some people might look at us and they might say that, you know, our laughter makes us silly. It makes us not serious about Jesus. But what if I told you today that in all actuality, the laughter of our congregation is one of the greatest signs of health that there is. Um, Church growth experts, they've actually discovered that there is a direct correlation between the amount of laughter in a congregation and how healthy it is. There is this tight tie between these two things. But it's not just for churches. It's true for us as individuals as well. Laughter, physically and emotionally, it it releases mood-boosting endorphins. And it can uh, raise a person's uh, pain tolerance as much as 10%. Uh, Furthermore, it increases blood flow. It increases your good cholesterol. It lowers your blood sugar, and it releases tension and stress. It seems that Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22, got it right. It says, a cheerful heart is good medicine. Maybe you've heard that before. But God, he designed us to laugh for a reason. Laughter is good for our bodies. Laughter is good for our minds. And as we will discover today, laughter is good for our souls as well. Last week, we discovered together that God actually wove into the very fabric of creation this need for holy leisure. 
God himself, he worked for six days and rested on the seventh. And, and as he made us in his own image, he wired us to need this rhythm, this rhythm between work and play, between labor and rest, between doing and being. That balance, that, that rhythm is, is part of what it takes for us to experience the fullness of life as God designed it. And today we're going to dive into to one particular practice of holy leisure that helps us experience that full life. And that practice is humor. Now, humor might seem trivial and unimportant and not at all spiritual, but in all actuality, humor is this powerful tool that connects us to the joy of God himself. Meister Eckhart was a German theologian, and once he, he painted this beautiful picture of God using these words. He said, do you want to know what goes on in the core of the Trinity? I will tell you. In the core of the Trinity, the Father laughs and gives birth to the Son. The Son laughs, laughs back at the Father and gives birth to the Spirit. The whole Trinity laughs and gives birth to us. Think about that. At the core of who God is, is joy. In fact, we are here because that joy simply could not be contained. It, it overflowed and it created us human beings. And humor is this practice that, that helps us tap back in to that joy from which we have come. It is this practice that helps us tap back into this eternal, infinite, overflowing joy of God himself. Um, earlier today, we heard read for us Psalm 16. Dee read that for us. And as she was reading through that, you heard the words of someone who was desperate to tap into that joy of God. The psalmist um, is actually, this particular psalm, as the psalmist is writing, it's, it's not just kind of standing there on its own. It's actually one in a series of psalms in which it is very clear that the psalmist is dealing with some very serious things. Things are simply not going his way. Um, I don't know if you remember the children's book. There's this, the story of um, Henry, I think, and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Does anybody remember that book? That was like one of my favorite books growing up. It, the psalmist's life was a picture of that. Maybe you've had one of those kinds of days where it just seems like it's one thing after another, a day on which like, you just can't seem to win. I had, I've had those days often, but the one that stands out most to me was this one. Um, a few years ago, I had to travel to Orlando for a class, and I got in a very early in the morning, taken a plane ride, barely got into my class in time, sat there for six hours listening to lectures, and then I was kind of done, right? I was ready to just be done with the day. So I drive to my hotel, I go inside, and I walk up to the counter, but they cannot seem to find a reservation for Laura Vincent. I'm totally perplexed, you know, like I know I made a reservation. So there's this back and forth for a few minutes. And finally, I pull up my reservation on my phone and wouldn't you know it, I'm there at the Holiday Inn, but I have a reservation for the Holiday Inn Express. That's a little problematic, right? So I get in my car, I drive about a block over. They were practically next to each other. Um, I get my key, I check into my room, and I'm so relieved. I put my bags down, and as I do, I realize I have left my phone charger in the car, and I need it. So, wonderful. I go out of the door to go get my phone charger, and as the door clicks behind me, I know in that instant what I've done. I've left not just one, but the two keys that they have just handed me on the nightstand. 
So a little embarrassed, I go down the stairs, I ask for a new key, I go out to my car, I get the phone charger, I go back up to the room, I reach into my pocket, and guess what? No key is there. Somehow, in the short distance between the car and my room, I have lost the third key that they have given me. So (laughs) mortified at this point, I go back down to the desk. I ask for yet another key, and they're just laughing along with me at this point, right? I take the key. I have it like in a death grip. Like I look at it the entire time in my hand like I am not losing this key, and I successfully get into my room. At that point, I knew I should just go to sleep, right? Like, I'm clearly not going to win at anything. But I decided to press my luck. I decided I'm going to lay out my clothes for the next day. So I reached into my bag, shirt, check. Pants, check. Undergarments, check. Shoes. Well, this is what I pulled out for my shoes. (laughs) Yeah, you know, like... Two different shoes is bad enough. Two different shoes of two different colors is worse. Two right shoes is further still, right? So hello, dressy outfit with tennis shoes the next day. So I go to bed. I can't wait to get home the next day after my class is over. I'm going through security. I can see my gate. It's just like right on the other side. I can see the promised land, right? I walk through the metal detector, no problem. But then my bag is not following me. And I look back and I notice they pulled my bag off the belt. I think, okay, maybe it's my tweezers or something like that that they're going for. Oh, no, no, no. They could tell from the x-ray that I had two different shoes. And that one of them evidently had like a metal plate in it and the other didn't. And they thought I was trying to bring a weapon aboard the plane. So... Bless. (laughs) Nothing went right about this trip. And uh, my friend Megan, I talked to her on the way home. She's like, I'm never letting you travel alone again. Like, thank you. I appreciate that. But maybe you've had that kind of day, right? Like it happens every once in a while where nothing seems to work out. Or perhaps you've had a series of much more serious challenges. You know, loss upon loss hurt upon hurt, disappointment upon disappointment. And if so, then, then you get what the psalmist is talking about in Psalm 16. Over this series of psalms, he has told us that he has been betrayed and deceived. He's told us that it seems like his enemies just keep winning and they're devouring everyone. And to top it all off, he says, even God seems like he is distant. Nothing, nothing is going how he wants. But despite all of this, in Psalm 16, do you know what he does? What the psalmist does is he he turns to God and he puts his trust in him as the one and only source of true joy. It is a psalm of confidence. And this is how it begins. It says, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. 
You know, the, the psalmist, he knows that, that sometimes people go to another source. He knows that sometimes people turn to other gods. He knows that, that sometimes people will go to, to fame and fortune, that some people will try to turn um, to prosperity, that some people will try to turn to success, possessions, whatever, to try to find that joy that they are missing in their life. However, the psalmist, he declares that he has rejected all of that. He has rejected everything else. And he recognizes that joy is found in the Lord alone. Lord, he calls him. Not just Yahweh, that the name that was used of mighty God, but he calls him Lord, Adonai, the most personal name for God that there is. In verse 5, he goes on, he says, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. In other words, he's saying, you're everything to me, God. You are my lot. You are my portion. You are my cup. It's, It's just another way of saying that the psalmist recognizes, even here at this low point in his life, that that everything that he does have is from God and God alone. The Lord is it. The Lord is his God, his destiny, his counsel, his security. The Lord is his life. And as he goes on in the psalm, what he realizes is that there is nothing and no one that can change that. There is nothing and no one that can take it away, not even death itself. This is what he says. He says, therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. Psalm 16 is is one of the Old Testament passages that is most clearly tied to God's victory over death in the Old Testament Um, to God's idea of that in the New Testament. Both Peter and Paul, they reference this exact verse in the sermons that they preach in the book of Acts. As they look back at it as, as a passage that is pointing forward to the resurrection of Jesus, who then opened up resurrection to the rest of us. But, but think about that. Think about when death itself is no longer a threat to us, then what else is there? What else can we fear? Our hearts can be glad. Our our tongues can rejoice. Our bodies can rest secure. Our life is finally free to have this complete joy in God's presence. And that is what the psalmist has discovered as he closes the psalm saying, You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Psalm 16 makes it clear. Joy is not something that we achieve. Rather, joy is is this gift that we receive as we entrust ourselves to God. He fills us with joy in his presence. And humor is just one of those ways we kind of like stick our hands out to catch what he is always pouring out and trying to give to us. Humor, it does several important things that I want us to discover together today. First of all, it unites us in our humanness, okay? Um, I heard you all laughing about me losing my keys at the hotel. I heard you laughing about me going to the wrong place. I heard you laughing about getting stopped in security over something silly and bringing two different shoes. But here's my question. How many of you have done something like that? Maybe not all of them at once. I know that's a lot. But yeah, right? Like all of us have done something like that. 
And so what humor does, it, it connects us to, to all that we share as human beings. In this world where, where there's so much that tries to divide us, what humor does is it reminds us uh, uh, that we're just not that different. It helps us to recognize, you know, that, that we don't have to be ashamed, that, that we aren't the only one, that we aren't alone. It is something that helps us realize that we all make blunders and baubles, that we all have, have stumbles and stutters, mistakes and missteps. None of us are perfect. <laughs> humor, it, it unites us in our humanness, but then it does something even deeper than that. Humor risks meaningful connection. Susan Sparks is a former trial law- lawyer turned minister and stand-up comedian. You know there's got to be a good story in there and a joke that goes along with that. But this is what she said. She says, if you can laugh at yourself, you can forgive yourself. If you can forgive yourself, you can forgive others. Laughter breaks down barriers. Laughter breaks down the barriers that we can so often put up to to receive God's joy-filled grace that he's always trying to give to us. You know, so often we can get really down on ourselves and we can kind of try to push God's grace away. We can say that, that uh, we've, we've messed up too much or we can say that we're not good enough and that we don't deserve it and we get all serious about trying to do all the things so that we're worthy of receiving it. But when we can laugh at ourselves, what happens is God's grace rush, rushes in. Not only in that moment are, are we acknowledging with our laughter that, man, we are human, but, but in a way we're declaring our need for God, right? I don't know how many times in that long string of things that went wrong for me that I was laughingly saying, like, Jesus, help me, right? But that's what happens when we can laugh at ourselves. We're, we're able to connect in this meaningful way with God. And at the same time, Laughter, it breaks down the barriers that we often put up between one another, the barriers that we put up that keep us from receiving God's joy-filled grace from the people that he has placed around us all the time. You know, it's easy for us to come to church or go to small groups or just be together um, in, in a group anywhere, at a restaurant or wherever you might be, and for us to kind of like put our best foot forward, right, to maybe wear a bit of a mask, for us to, to stand around and try, to, try to, to puff out our chest and act like we've got it all figured out and all together, that we are kind of self-dependent. But when we are able to laugh with one another, we, we create this safe space for us to be ourselves. We create this safe space for us to true, truly connect with one another. It allows us to, to let our guard down and to let one another in. You know, one of the, the places here at church that I often see all of us, you know, we're all, we all tend to do this, kind of be our most serious and, and try to be the best version of ourselves is when we come to this table, right, to, to experience communion. It's a, a meal that's supposed to be all about God's grace, but, you know, we want to do it right, right? We don't want to mess it up. No one wants to be the one who messes up communion. And so um, we have, like, our servers when they come up. So often they get nervous, like, I don't want to say the wrong thing. Can you tell me again what I need to say? Am I standing in the right place? And then even us who are coming forward for communion, we can get a little anxious, too. Like, is it my turn to go or is it their turn to go? How much bread is too much bread to rip off? How far do I dip it down in the juice? Oops, what if my finger got in there? Did I mess it up for everyone, right? Like we get, we get all worked up about it. 
Um, but I have to be honest with you guys, some of my favorite meals that we have shared here at the table with Jesus are the meals where it has erupted in laughter, which usually means one of us is messed up, right? Um, I remember my very first Christmas Eve service. We always celebrate communion together, and I was super nervous. Like, you don't want to mess Christmas Eve up, right? Pastor Adam, he kept trying to calm me down. He's like, as long as everybody lights their candles and sings Silent Night, it's going to be fine, Laura. All right? But I was still, like, really worked up about it. And so uh, we get to communion. We're almost done with the service, right? And uh, we have lots of guests here on, on Christmas Eve. And so I was very careful to explain, like, what to expect. We're going to come forward, we're going to tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, and receive it. And uh, we're going through the line, three-fourths of the people have been served. They've done the same thing, taking the bread, dipped it in the cup, eating it. And this one lady comes up after the next, and before I even know, knew what had happened, she had taken the cup from my hands and taken a big old swig of it. <laughs> Which is fine. Like, pe people do that in, in their traditions. And, and like, that's great. That, I mean, however you want to take it is good. But the funny part was the people behind her were not expecting it. And so their eyes were, like, three times bigger than usual. And, um, and she went on her way. We held it together. But as they started coming forward, everyone started giggling a little bit, like, trying to figure out, like, what's our next play? Like, you know, do we tip it in the bread or not, what do we do? And so the brave ones dipped it in and went ahead and took it. I think Jesus, you know, covers those germs. Um, <laughs> and then the very polite ones, like, acted like they were dipping the bread in and then went on back to their seats. Uh, but... <laughs> It was, it was funny. And the people that were a part of that, we still tell that story all the time. You know, like we remember that very well. Um, there was another instance where we were serving our kids. They uh, came up from Kids Zone. They're filing in. Missy, you might remember this. It's been years ago. And they're going through. They're always so cute, you know. And, and uh, I'm going from one kid to the next. And suddenly I look up. And one of our kids had come to church in his baseball uniform, which is cute, right? Like, you'd expect shirt and pants, like, if you're really proud. No, 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 no. This is Roy. Do you remember Roy? Roy had come not just in his shirt and pants, but he had on his helmets. He had on his cleats. He had the black stuff under his eyes. And the best part of all is as he reaches for the bread, I realize that he has his batting gloves on. He was in the full attire, and so I started laughing. Everyone else started laughing, and then, again, it's one of those days that I remember best because here's Roy. He has come just as he is, right? Or recently, um, after church, our kids, they come running up the stairs after it's over. Uh, most kids run up to get, like, the goldfish and the cookies, but um, Gracie Lee Harris, do you all know Gracie Lee? Gracie Lee loves communion. She likes the Hawaiian bread. That's a part of the community, I should say. And so uh, they, she and our other kids know that, um, that, of course, you know, we're very respectful toward the elements. We make sure they're either consumed or they go to the earth. But that consumed part is the part they're excited about. They want to have some of the bread. And so Gracie Lee is standing there, and she's eating this huge chunk of bread. And uh, in between bites, she uh, reaches up and tugs my shirt. She says, hey, Pastor Laura, you got any more of that blood? <laughs> What do you say to that? You know, like, sure, I got some. But, you know, those times in, at, around this table are, 
are the times that stand out most to me. And I think it's because they were real moments, right? There are moments where, where this laughter connected all of us when we let our guard down and we let one another in. Now, I, I know that us being reverent when we're coming forward, we're being respectful, you know, and it's a way of us worshiping. And I'm not trying to, to play that down or throw that out at all. But, but when we come here, we are encountering Jesus himself. And I tend to think that Jesus had a great sense of humor, okay, and that he is laughing right along with us. And so humor, it, it risks this meaningful connection, but it also does one last thing. It teaches us to navigate life's challenges. The psalmist, he received God's joy as he entrusted his life to him in Psalm 16. As we go on in scripture, we find Proverbs 31 that writes about this virtuous woman who has entrusted her life to God. And this is what it says about her. It says, she is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. I love that. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way before, but, but in the midst of this world with all of these challenges, laughter is an act of defiance, right? In this life, there's always going to be challenges, but our God is always pouring out his joy regardless. It's kind of like remembering the sun's existence on, on a rainy day. You know, when we remember that the sun is there, it's not that we're living in denial of the rain that's happening. We know that it's there. But in that same moment, we can also know that the sun is still there, shining just as brightly than ever behind those clouds, and that this storm is eventually going to have to pass. It is a prophetic thing to dance in the rain. I like the way that Henry Nouwen puts it. He says, Joy and laughter are the gifts of living in the presence of God and trusting that tomorrow is not worth worrying about. Humor is a practice that helps us to do that. Humor is a holy practice that helps us tap into the joy that is at the core of who God is. It helps us be united in our humanness. It risks meaningful connection, and it helps us to navigate life's challenges. And so here's my challenge to you. This summer, as we're living into this practice of holy leisure, take some time to laugh. To laugh at yourself when things don't go as you expected. Take some time to, to sit around tables and on your back porches and to rehash old stories and to laugh together, knowing that the God who made us in his very image is laughing right along with us. We can entrust our lives to him.